are in Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned once in a while about in our society that we are um, in the echo of Christianity within Canada. And this is something to discuss in your city groups. And one of the echoes that we have in Canada is that we actually celebrate Thanksgiving. And, and what I would ask you is, who are we thanking? Because thankfulness is actually a relational term. We just can't thank the air. We just can't thank the universe. But thankfulness is actually a relational term. And ultimately, there's, uh, we should be thankful for our family, right? We should be thankful for our parents. Now, I know nobody's parents in the room are perfect, but we should still be thankful for them. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, right? And uh, we have siblings. You should be thankful for your siblings as imperfect as they are, or maybe, or all the past that you might have with them. And we should really be thankful for our siblings. We're thankful for friends, aren't we? Are we thankful for friends? You should be getting together with somebody this weekend, family and friends, to be thankful. And then with all of that, who are we collectively thanking? Come on now. Who are we thanking? We're thanking God. That, that gratefulness should be just the posture of our heart all the time. And again, this, this idea, this goes against the grain in the culture that we live in. Because the culture that we live in is all about finding fault, finding the problems, finding... And listen, any, every culture that has existed for, for eons in the past and for whatever the future might be, it's going to be imperfect because it's led by humans who are imperfect. But in all of this, in all of our critique of all of the world and all of its things, the problem in the world is sin. And God has made a way for us to move past our sin and to move into a relationship with him and to bring the kingdom to where we are. And we should be thankful. We should just have a posture of thankfulness in our heart. And it's very easy. Well, I don't have this and I don't have this and I don't have this. But I see you today. And, and you're watching online, you have some sort of device or internet connection. It may not be super, super fast, but you're watching this today. And then you're here in the room and we're inside being able to worship God in a country where there's other countries around the world. If we were to do this, there would be police waiting outside the building to arrest us. Aren't you thankful that we can do this? And so to cultivate that spirit of thanksgiving, not just on Thanksgiving weekend, but every day that we get up and thank you, God, that I'm alive today. Thank you, God, that I get to breathe this next breath. Thank you, God, for my spouse. Thank you, God, for my kids. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my car. And if you don't have a car, thank God for the bus. Right? Thank God for whatever you can thank God for. Because there's something to be thankful for. Just something to be paused and be like, God, you're just so good. So good to me at every stage of life. And then the we find ourselves in circumstances and, the, and, and we're like, oh, these are difficult. But we know in the middle of all of that, God is good. Thank God that he is good. Can I get an amen? Amen. Like I said, this series, we're just going to be talking about Jesus for the next little while. Now, how many think that's a good idea at church? And so, I never apologize for talking about Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's the focus of our church. Moving people closer to Jesus is our mission statement. Now, as we embark on a new series, 
I really don't want you to forget the last series. Now, I should probably say this every series, but what I talked about last series, I really feel like it's a really important thing coming out of the world and all of the different stuff going on that we need to be together, unified, getting together with people, hanging out with our friends, being encouraged, encouraging one another. So let's take the all together challenge and let's move it into the future. And like Michael talked about, and please jump into a city group just so you can have friends. And if nothing else, you can discuss this message, which will be a blessing to you. And you can talk about Thanksgiving and how great that is. All right. Will you do that? Jump into a group, continue on. Um, and this is a great weekend to start thinking about, hey, you know what? How many of you are eating today for Thanksgiving? Specifically celebrating Thanksgiving. Now, I already talked to somebody this morning. They ate yesterday, so they were getting the jump on the whole thing. And then they're going to have leftovers the next few days. That's probably a good thing. So how many today? You have your main meal, and then tomorrow is going to be leftovers. And if there's enough leftover, you can send a turkey sandwich with the kids to school, which is a great thing. Parents, one less lunch to prepare. We're waiting all the way to Monday because we have no kids to worry about. So it's amazing. And then nobody's cooking. We're like buying it from a store. This is great. And then I'll get my sister to clean up. All right. (laughs) All right. So we are going to be talking about Jesus. This series is called Jesus encounters. And as we look through the gospel stories, which we're going to be doing the next little while, that Jesus always said the perfect thing. He always did the perfect thing. He always had the correct view on life and God. And there's so much to learn as we look in the gospels about Jesus' life and ministry and for us to understand life as it should be, as God intended for it to be. And then how to live this life. This is what we can see all in Jesus' ministry and life. And we have these four beautiful Greco-Roman biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see over and over again in these gospel books that Jesus had encounters with people. And we, some of the times we would get details of, of where they were from and how old they were and what their situation was. Thank God for these stories and thank God for the apostles, the disciples who thought of, hey, you know what? We want to find out this person's story before we leave this town and go to another town. And that's what we see at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wasn't actually one of the disciples, but the the scripture tells us that he interviewed eyewitnesses, that he went and met a bunch of people who saw what Jesus did. And so we have all of the record of what Jesus accomplished, his messages and all these different things. And what we know about Jesus' life and ministry, that he impacted the world arguably more than any person that ever lived. But he would speak to masses, but then he would also spend time with an individual. And this is the way we need to see Jesus, his life and his ministry, that the world, man, the world needs an encounter with Jesus in its totality. In every way, understanding what he did and accomplished and who he is. And then also us as individuals, we need to have an encounter with Jesus and we can. As we sit with the gospel stories, as we sit with what he said and what he did and what he accomplished, the Holy Spirit can come to us and show us those things and how those things impact my life and what it means to me. 
and that I can have the same encounter as those people had in the scriptures because Jesus changed people's lives for forever. And when we think about Jesus, you know, we, we say Jesus Christ, and some people think Christ was his last name, Christ. It's not Jesus' last name. Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. You know, there wasn't actually last names till about uh, the year 1000 or 1100. So Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It is his designation, his messianic designation. In other words, he is the Messiah. The word Messiah just means anointed one. And when we, we see Jesus Christ, that he is the chosen one, that he fulfilled all of the Old Testament expectations of a Savior. And everybody that we see in the Old Testament and the, the totality of the Old Testament moves us and points us to Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament that the Savior would show up. Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And in the Gospel of John, one of the emphasis that we see in the Gospel of John is to show us that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, one of the devices that John uses in his gospel is that he uses all of these I am statements. And the re reason he's using these I am statements is to remind us about the story of Moses and the burning bush. And because Moses said, uh, you know, God is talking to Moses out of the burning bush and sending them to the children of Israel who are in Egyptian bondage. And he asked the question, well, who should I say sent me? And God answers back from the burning bush, tell him. I am sent you. I am that I am. So when Jesus shows up, he says, I am the way. I am the shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. So all of these things that we see in the Old Testament are all pointing us to Jesus. The Bible as a book, as a collection of books, is pointing us to Jesus, Jesus himself said to the Pharisees one day, he said, you know, you search the scripture and in there you, you think you're finding salvation, but they actually point to me. And then he said to them, but you won't actually come to me. But we wouldn't and shouldn't be so foolish that we should see our relationship with God as very Jesus-centric. The Bible pointing us to Jesus, that the main character, the main person in all of the 66 books of the Bible 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, is Jesus. It isn't you. Now, thank God you and I can learn a lot of stuff. But when, when we remember that Jesus is the central figure of all of the Scripture, when I come to him and I can understand about life, and then I can actually understand about myself when I understand about Jesus. See, we should do ourselves a favor and just discover Jesus. Again, maybe afresh and anew, be thankful for him again. We get so, uh, these stories that we read become very commonplace and we can almost recite them. And if we can recite them, maybe we don't actually think about what they are saying. But we don't want to do that. We actually want to have an encounter with Jesus. So we need to see ourselves in this series in a relationship with Jesus. The central character, the central figure, the focus of the scripture, and then we get to actually be with him, as it were, by his spirit. 
if you're ready to dive in today, ready to dive in and, and see Jesus again and have an encounter with him again and afresh and anew. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Moses and the prophets. Verse 2, it says this, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. In other words, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Firstborn. And when we say the Firstborn uh, among many brethren, which Jesus is, it, it, it's showing us that Jesus has this first place in the family. In other words, he has authority in the family. This is what we what they would see and they would understand by understanding that he is the heir. The heir of all things through whom, listen, whom also he created the world. So in other words, Jesus didn't just show up in Bethlehem, the son of Mary. He was actually pre-existent with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he was there at the beginning of creation, not separate from creation. He created the world. The, the scripture also tells us that he saw Jesus fall like lightning from the heavens. So he was there before the earth began. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is. So God spoke with what we see with the prophets in the Old Testament, and the exact, though, with the exact imprint of his nature is in Jesus. And we can see and we can know all of the Old Testament uh, people, Abraham and Moses and David, they were all imperfect. So none of them were the exact imprint of God's nature, but they were all pointing to Jesus who would show up and be the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by, his, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Now this word here, this, this phrase, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature, Jesus is. So that's why the gospels should be very important to us. But again, what is this? When we think about radiance, we think about light. Now, we know that we have this uh, great, you know, thermonuclear reactor in the sky that we kind of take for granted. Aren't you thankful for the sun? You should be thankful for the sun because we wouldn't be here without the sun. Thank God that God placed the sun in the exact distance that it should be from the earth for life to be. That's a pretty amazing thing that God did, right? Are you thankful for the sun? But we also know that we can see the moon at night. Sometimes we can see it during the day. But the moon itself produces no light. It only reflects the radiance of the sun, and that's us. We should be reflecting in our lives who Jesus is, that we should have an encounter with the sun, S-O-N, like the sun, S-U-N, that produces light. We don't produce any light. In and of ourselves, we don't have any greatness or goodness. But when we follow Jesus and we have an encounter with Jesus, the radiance of who he is, we get to absorb. He, he did something there. He, uh, he, After making purifications for our sins, something we couldn't do for ourselves, 
but the radiance of him making purification of our sins, that we can reflect his goodness. We can reflect his grace. We can reflect the fact that we actually get to live in forgiveness. That our eternity is changed forever. Why? Because we're reflecting the radiance of Jesus who offers us forgiveness. So that's what we're doing as we dive into all of these stories. We're going to be reflecting back the radiance of who Jesus is. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Now, Jesus referred to God as Father, which was very annoying for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't like this fact that Jesus always talked about the Father of God, that he brought God into these relational terms. And then the disciples said, show us what God is like. We want to know. This is the big question. What is God really like? And this is an important distinction to have. You know, there's some people that talk about God in certain ways and, well, you know, God is like this and God is like this. And they're, what they're talking about is not actually the character and nature of the true God. And they're like, I don't believe in that God. And I'm like, I don't believe in that God either. I believe God in God as described by Jesus because he is the radiance of God. And so people make up terms about God and then they're mad about a fictional God. That would be a silly thing to do, right? Let's understand who the true God is. Not be angry at fake gods, but understand who God is, the truth and nature of who he actually is. So they're asking this, the question, Lord, show us the Father. And we should have this question. This should be a sincere question for everybody. Who is God? What is his nature? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus says. How many think that's a pretty bold statement? Now, none of you and I should ever make this statement. (laughs) Because we are completely imperfect. But here Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What Jesus does, how he acted, what he said, how he ministered, that's God. Thank God for the Old Testament. Thank God for the prophets. Thank God for David and Moses and Abraham and all of the character of the Old Testament. But none of those give us the exact imprint of God. The greatest understanding that we have of God is in Jesus. Now, what makes Jesus' claim true and important is the resurrection. We could just write this off, right, if it wasn't for the resurrection. But when somebody can predict his own death and then predict his own return, resurrection, and then actually do it, I actually want to hear what he says. I want to know about God through his life. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do not believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak at my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me 
that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So, as we go through these stories, and we can see God in action, and then we can reflect the radiance of that, like Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. God lives fully in Christ, and you are fully grown because you belong to Christ, who is over every power and authority. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I'm living. Our everyday life. Our home life. Our work life. Our neighborhood life. See, the, the activity of Christians is not just found in this building or watching the service online. The activity of following Jesus is the totality of who we are, the life I live in the flesh. And you only live life in the flesh. So that's your whole life. Our whole lives are supposed to be reflecting the radiance of who God is in Jesus. So I can encounter Jesus, through the scriptures, through the gospel, understand who he is. So here is our very first Jesus encounter that we're going to look at in this series. And this, this beginning encounter really is the encounter that all of us will have and should have at some point. Really important, important encounter that Jesus had as he called his disciples. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now they had already known about Jesus, and he had done some things, so it wasn't like they were robots, like, we must follow. That's not the point of the story. They knew who Jesus was, but he's calling them. He's calling you. He's calling everybody. The call goes out to everyone. What is the call? Follow me. That's the first part of the call that Jesus says to everybody. Follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. A follower of Jesus. And again, his ministry the amazingness of his ministry, the amazingness of his claims, and the fulfillment of his claims is why we should follow him. You do yourself a disservice to dismiss Jesus and think you've, you've found some intellectual superiority over who Jesus is. If you think you've done that, you actually haven't read the scriptures. The things that Jesus says and what he does are unmatched in history. And they stand alone in history. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and John, and his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. They followed him. And I love that, that they were fishermen. In other words, they're just like you and me. They're just people. These weren't 
These weren't the Avengers. Do you understand? These were people, human people who lived in a time that Jesus said, follow me. They followed him and they changed the world. And here we are, 2,000 years later, lifting up the name of Jesus, talking about Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord, the scripture says, and you will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. Two different things. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, his lordship, and I will make you fishers of men. I will actually do something with your life. I will make your life impactful. As I reflect the radiance of who you are. See, the question for us today, you know, there's a phrase that we call people today, they're, they're influencers. And it's usually because they've inane things online. Um, you know, people are making big money. Just like, hey, we're going to put together a dance. There's going to be, we're going to get 70 million views and advertisers are going to pay, pay us. And we're going to call these people influencers. And again, if you can make money that way, go for it. But that's not actually true influence. We're just watching your TikTok, and you're a good dancer. Great. But there needs to be something bigger or more profound to our influence than just that, and somebody would watch our video. And this is what Jesus is calling the disciples. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And this should have to do with the gospel message that we're going to be preaching, the gospel message. That's part of it. It's a part of the story of being an influencer, your testimony. What is my testimony? How has Jesus affected my life? This should be part of our story. But then again, our whole lives are supposed to be lived according to the glory of God. James chapter 2 verse 14 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if somebody says that he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the thing needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, I have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from the works is useless? Was not Abraham, your father, justified by works when he's offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The works that I have in my life are not what I do to be saved. But what I do, the works that I do, come from the fact that I am saved. 
So I don't do a bunch of actions. I don't try to do a bunch of good things to get saved. But because I am saved, we need to massage the goodness of God into every part of our lives so that we can reflect him all of the time. So that the things I do, my faith is showing up in the actions that I take everywhere. That my faith shows up. That it's not dead. That my faith, I just, what, this is what I believe. What does what James says, the half-brother of Jesus? The demons also believe. But the fact that we believe something should show up. Making us fishers of men. Knowing the gospel story, being able to tell it, I knew, I knew of one young person. Um, you know, she was in high school just in this time, and and uh, the, one of her teachers found out that she went to church, and one of her teachers told her, "She's like, I found out you were a Christian, and how you lived your life makes me want to go to church." And that should be all of us that we would be reflecting who God is, that our faith, that we have, the beliefs that we have, would show up everywhere, all of the time. Fishers of men. What is the the first part? Follow me. See, when we follow Jesus, he is our Lord, our Savior, the one we follow after, the one we obey. And then because he's our Lord... We get him as our savior, not the other way around. Because the salvation part is like, God, I want your goodness. God, I want your forgiveness. I certainly don't want to be uh, separated from you for eternity. I certainly don't want to go to hell. So I, I want to say your name as my savior. I want all of the good things that you have for me. But the lordship part, you know, just leave me alone. I don't actually want to do what you say. I, I, I just want to. I don't, want, I don't want to hear what you have to say about my money. I don't want you to hear. I don't want to hear what you have to say about sexuality. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I just want the salvation piece. I just want to go to heaven when I die. We're missing the boat. We get him as our savior when we take him as our Lord. And the fact we yield our lives to him, then we experience the salvation part. But aren't you thankful for the salvation part? Thank God for both. Follow me, Jesus said, the salvation part. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20. And it was not without an oath that those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will change, not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Talking about Jesus. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. What do we have in the New Testament, the New Covenant? We have a better covenant based upon better promises. Why? Because of Jesus, the perfect high priest. So we have all of these all of this imagery in the Old Testament about the priest and the high priest and what it meant that they were going to experience salvation. And it was all a type, a precursor to the true in Jesus, to the ultimate salvation in Jesus. He is the guarantor.
guarantor, the God-man, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were all prevented by death from continuing in the office. In other words, all the Old Testament priests, what happened to them? They all died. But what about Jesus? He died and he was resurrected. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Listen to this now. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That's the lordship piece. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. I love this phrase. He's able to save to the uttermost. What does that mean? It means completely. With his lordship, with my life yielded to him, with me not sitting on the throne of my life, that I'm giving up that place. And I'm saying Jesus is going to sit on the throne of my life. With all of that, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. And you and I, we need saving. We need help on the regular, always, constantly. But he is able to save to the uttermost. He saves us. He's his help in time of need. He saves us. This is who Jesus is as we go through these stories and this initial call again. This is the call for all of us. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Following after Jesus, making him our Lord. And then what he does in us, and how he saves us, and how much we allow the Son of God to shine on our lives so that we can be a reflection of his goodness. And he saves us. To the uttermost, salvation is reflected so that my sin and my pain and my insufficiency is not my identity, but my identity is in God. That I am a son and a daughter of the Most High. Salvation is reflected on my, in my outlook on circumstances. Here's this, and here's this, and here's this, and here's this circumstance. But my faith is not in the circumstance. My faith is in God. My trust is in God. This is how I reflect his goodness. Follow me, he says. So I put my faith in him. I reflect his trustworthiness. And because he's trustworthy, I can trust him. Salvation is reflected in my hope for the future. Scripture says, hope in God. Again, I'm going to harp on the news one more time. The news, this is coming up, and this is coming up, and this is bad, and blah, blah, blah. And if we put our faith in that, 
our future is hopeless. But my hope is not in what the news says. My hope is in Jesus. My outlook for the future is in Christ. The one who knows the end from the beginning, he is the Alpha and Omega. Why would I put my trust in temporary circumstances? But I'm going to put my trust in the eternal one who I can put my hope in, my faith. My life, I'm going to reflect hope because I follow Jesus. Salvation is reflected in me looking to God as my provider in every way. Spiritually, financially, vocationally, health-wise, that Jesus is my provider. He provides. So I'm never disappointed in people providing because I know God is my provider. So I'm going to reflect that outlook. God, you are my provider. You are the ultimate need meter in my life. So when people fail, I'm not shipwrecked because I know you're my provider. Salvation is reflected in my ability to love those that I disagree with. Jesus said, love your enemies. And you need to disagree with some people. We're going to follow the ethic of the scripture. But how are we going to do it? We're going to do it in love. We're not going to disagree the way everybody else disagrees. What are we going to do? We're going to disagree. I disagree with you, but I still love you. And I don't hate you, and I don't have a phobia, but I love you. But I disagree with you. Salvation is going to be reflected in that. Last thing as we finish here, Psalm 51. David's prayer of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and hold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. See, sometimes the missing piece for us being an influencer for God is we simply don't have any joy. But here is David's prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Joy. See, when we look at the radiance of who Jesus is, man, we will experience joy. When I understand who he is and what he's done and what he accomplished and what he says and what he's teaching and what he's doing. And I can have a Jesus encounter. And when I have a Jesus encounter, I am going to be full of joy when nobody else is. When everybody else's joy is going up and down like a yo-yo with the COVID numbers, I am going to have joy regardless. Why? Because I am not looking at that to get my joy. I am looking at the Son of God who gave himself for me. 
words of men. Let's just pray today. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. God, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we're so thankful for all that you have done for us. Especially today, Lord, thankful for Jesus. We put our faith in him and we put our trust in him, that our hope is in him, that he is our provider. He is our soon coming king. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you are here this morning and you, or you are watching online and you have never said yes to Jesus, we as a family, as a group of believers, we invite you into the greatest relationship that you will ever have. And that is a relationship with God through Jesus. As we've talked about today, we don't have a relationship with God because we're perfect because we aren't. We don't create religions and then offer it to God and say, God, will you accept me now? No, Jesus is the one that has the rightful place as Lord of our lives because of what he's done, because of who he is. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning momentarily just to say yes to Jesus. And this prayer, whether you're here in the room or watching us online, is just a starting place. It's a starting place of a discipleship life. Follow Jesus. That's what it means. That I'm committing to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you're here today, we're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes and we're going to pray this prayer out loud. So church, let's pray this together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. That he died on a cross. And you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So today I say yes to that relationship. I say yes to your righteousness. God, today I call you my Father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's congratulate those that did that for the very first time. Hey, we celebrate with you today if you did that for the very first time. If you did pray that prayer to follow Jesus today, we actually have some materials in our lobby at the info desk that we'd love to give to you that will help you on your journey of faith. The same thing if you are watching online this morning and you prayed that prayer for the very first time. If you just email us at info at thecitychurch.ca, we will get those same materials into your hands. Well, thank you for coming to church today. And I know um, some parents gloriously got their kids into City Kids today. Is anybody thankful for City Kids? But it's been so long, but it's time to be thankful now. So when you go to pick up your kids, you should say thank you to those workers that they sacrificed their time to look after your beautiful children this morning. It's a good thing to be thankful on Thanksgiving weekend. Amen. Well, have an amazing rest of your day eating and celebrating and loving on your family and friends. We will see you next week for Jesus Encounters Part 2. You are dismissed.